Well, hello there. I'm BC, your host for Oddcast, the podcast, or World Empowered Dialogues. Also the founder and CEO or creative empowerment optimist of a world empowered nonprofit by the same name. In today's interview, I get to sit down with my good friend Jim Heckel. He's the co-founder and president of the nonprofit organization Think Humanity, an incredible philanthropic organization that operates in Uganda, providing wells for clean water, malaria nets to cover beds at night, keep the mosquitoes away. They also have a medical facility as well as they're in the process of building a school out there. In today's conversation, Jim and I get to talk about the importance of having a global mindset and what that does for us on a personal level. I think that you're really going to enjoy it. I look forward to hearing from you. I'll catch you at the end. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited to be sitting here with my good friend and cohort and confidant and mentor. Uh, Jim Heckel is the co-founder and president mm-hmm. of the nonprofit organization Think Humanity. And we are in for a very exciting and mind-expanding conversation. I can't wait to talk to you and find out your thoughts on a global mindset and the importance of having such a worldview, um, both on a personal and a global level. Jim, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's start off, if you can tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself in this role as the president and co-founder of Think Humanity. Okay. I wish I could um, go back in time and say, well, we had this grandiose plan that would roll out and then I would fit into it. But nothing like that was even close to the truth. It never is. No. It never really is. (laughs) Um, I was working uh, at Agilent Technologies. I was in my my kind of senior years there. I worked there for about 30 years, Hewlett Packard and Agilent um, in IT. And... um, my wife actually started uh, selling books on eBay to buy mis- malaria nets. And one thing led to another, and that was a, kind of the genesis of it. Uh, one thing led to another, I finally retired, and um, then all of a sudden there's this huge opportunity. We became a 501c3 in 2007, and this huge opportunity was just given to me, I would say, that I do I wanna do this? And my wife and I decided, yeah, this sounds like a lot of fun. So. Um, so it was kind of divined unto you, like yeah, I, I don't know if yeah, I I guess. What I, do you mean given to you? Well, I mean, um, I didn't do anything to earn this, so um, it was more of like looking at something and deciding if this is really something that we want to do. And I mean, I definitely we, you know, didn't look back. What spoke to your heart and called to you that? this was something that you wanted to do to begin with. I mean, there's lots of local charities, there's lots of suffering people here. What was it about you, the people of Uganda and how did this really speak to your heart and your soul to, to guide you in this path? Well, I can't deny, it's 99% it was faith, our own personal faith. Okay. And so that drove, that drives everything in our life. So, it, uh, and not to get into that as a, tangent but that faith in in our in our personal lives drove that's been driving us for our whole entire life we've always had a compassion for um kind of injustice and kind of the 
bad stuff we see in the world, people not having clean water, people not being able to have the things that we've, we've just grown to uh, take for granted. And so we've always had that, and we've always done some work in a church or setting or mission work, going to Katrina, whatever. But, um, you know, it wasn't really formalized as a, I would say, purpose in our life until we did this and then realized that this is this is going to be a lot of fun. And um, like I said, there's no looking back. Once you get going, it just uh, feeds on itself. Right. Can you speak a little bit on Beth Beth's behalf on... You said that she, this kind of started with her selling books on eBay. How did Uganda even pop up on the screen of her consciousness? Um, well, you know, I can't speak entirely for her, but I, I think it would be um, fair to say that that she had um, she had been she had been looking at this. She'd worked in a nonprofit organization for her career um, in Loveland here, and so when she was and it was in it was in daycare it was a daycare type of an organization so she always had this kind of desire to work with children and in an educational environment so the thought behind the ebay books was if we could help some people keep from getting malaria then they could go to school and they could have a better life and so it started out very 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 small and you know a couple books here a couple books there and then um you know buy a ten dollar malaria net uh, now we buy them for five dollars because we buy in huge bulk. Right. So it it kind of snowballed, and then we we got a lot of energy from a lot of different people that worked around us that had the same you know kind of um, passion or whatever you want to call it that wanted to do something. So there was a good time in in the world, I guess you'd say, where Bono, for example, uh, was coming out. The One program was was. Um, I think you remember that mm -hmm. it was kind of eclipsing or or, or starting to eclipse. Um, there were uh, the 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 sustainable development millennium development goals that were uh, put on by different administrations and to help you know level kind of the playing field in terms of humanitarian and developing and developed countries. So um, there was a lot of good things in the uh, overall world's condition that fit into what we wanted to do. And so it was just really, um, it was really a, a perfect timing. Had you been to Uganda before? Negative. Did you watch a documentary on Discovery Channel or Natural, National Geographic? I mean, a lot of people don't even, aren't even privy to the plight of people in other countries. So how were you even aware that this was a need? Um, again, that, that comes into our faith and and how we prayed about things, and how uh, our how God led us to certain things. It's I, I can't really explain it any other way than that. Um, so that's really the answer. It resonates with me. That's why I started World Empowered. I, I was a furniture maker and ran a brick and mortar business for 15 years, and then all of a sudden, it just came to me this overwhelming sense that there was something more to do with right, my life. Right. And I didn't know really what that was or where that would take me. I shut down my business, packed up a backpack, and moved to Central America. And then uh, spent the subsequent... Had you been there before? No. Just shut down my business and packed up a backpack and moved to Costa Rica. So you, you did a leap of faith also? Yep. Just divine inspiration, intu intuition, whatever you want to call it. It was exactly that just a leap of faith something spoke to my heart and said hey this is what you need to do and I was like oh I can't not listen if you ask for inspiration and then it arrives and then you ignore it mm -hmm. 
what are the chances it's going to show up again? So more, I think it was more terrifying the thought that I would ask and need guidance in the future. And because I ignored it, it wouldn't arrive than the thought of moving to another country and traveling to a place that I didn't know the language and didn't have any Mm. friends. So one kind of one fear outweighed the other. And I just stepped in that direction. And it sounds a lot like what you did. Very similar. It does sound very similar. Yeah. Very comfortable. And you're, familiar with the day-to-day logistics of being a senior advisor at Agilent and HP to step away from that comfortable spots where you're getting a, a weekly or monthly paycheck and to move into something in another country that you've never been to must have been a little bit terrifying. Well, you know, I've got to also say that um, Agilent kind of helped me because I was I wasn't, I didn't retire on my own accord. wasn't in my plan again. It was more of the work, what well, they called it workforce management, which basically said, you know, you'll get this package. We don't need you anymore. And um, that was fine. It was a good ride while it lasted. But, um, you know, it, it kind of expedited that process. I, I retired when I was 55. I probably would have worked a little bit longer. I don't know how long. But uh, through other personal things that happened in my life, um, it was time to retire. Probably the universe's way of well, nudging, I got the axe. I got the big axe towards the so. path, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is, uh, "We usually meet our destiny on the path that we chose to avoid." It. I like that. I like that. So you Very... had you kind of had a retirement plan. You were thinking you'd work until sixty or sixty-two, and Agilent was like, eh. "Maybe you had to do it early." <laughs> the universe was like, eh. uh... <laughs> "If you wait to start Think Humanity until you're sixty or sixty-two, you might not be right as effective at it. You might not have the energy, and look where you are now." If you had waited an extra five years, you where were you? Se- That's a good question. Where was Think Humanity seven years ago versus where it is now? Because I know that you're in the process. You just purchased a large plot. You're in the process of building a school. Um, where were you seven years ago? So if you had to postpone uh, the the progression of Think Humanity according to your work plan, where would you be? Well, I, I think um, that's a really good point in question about uh, when you look back, if we if we were to have waited, <clears throat> I think the, um, yeah, it would have, um, uh, a lot of the progress, I, I don't know that it would have been the same because, like I said at the time, there was a lot of things that were in place and just waiting to, to be harvest, uh, harvested. But um, probably if we weren't to, have done, weren't, weren't to have done it seven years ago, um, yeah, we would we would be in the beginning stages of where we were, and um, I think now that I'm 67, um, yeah, I don't think I'd have as much energy. So um, it was a good time to do it, right? To move forward. Well, I'm just thinking, seven years ago, you were probably so you started in 2012. So seven years ago, it would have been six years. It's actually 2007. 2007. Yeah. Sorry, 13 years ago. So it would have been six years old at the time. What was Think Humanity doing over there in Uganda at that, we, that period? We originally started with uh, we had what's called beds and nets, um, or, or meds. I'm sorry, meds and nets, where we uh, we had a small clinic. It was like a storefront clinic. We'd give medications on a very limited basis, and we give malaria nets. And we do these, what we call mandates, meds and nets dates, where we would give out medications and we would give out uh, malaria nets free. 
And we did that for several years. And then somebody, one of our directors, we, we have four directors in Uganda. And one of them said, we should start a clinic. And I said, absolutely not. We don't know. We're known as doctors. We don't know what we're doing. We're not going to do that. And we fought about that for a couple of years. And finally he won. He started it. And now it's raving success. And uh, I I love eating the crow every time I see Emma and remind him of his wonderful decision and how backward mine was. And if we were to have listened to him, how bad we or weren't to have listened to him, how we wouldn't have a clinic now. And so... Or if he had been less persistent, how many people would have suffered? How many people yes. would not have received the services if he had been even a monicum less persistent in convincing well, you to do this? And that's so. If you do the math, we've been doing. We have a clinic, uh, full blown clinic with doctors and nurses. Um, we service seven hundred, about eh, let's say five hundred patients on the average per month, um, wow. and that's been going on for five years. And we do health days, and we deliver babies. We do all that ultrasounds. Mm. So, um, so the whole the whole thing wouldn't have happened if um, they would have listened to me, right? Uh, so I'm so glad that they didn't. And <laughs> and, um, and he did the same thing with the school just about a year ago mm. because I didn't want to buy land in Uganda. I mean, that's scary. It's logistically oh, yeah. challenging. It's- so. Just it's legally scary. You're dealing it with sure the Ugandan government and a lot of money and the potential for corruption and deception and it's a huge undertaking. You're like things are rolling great. We're doing good work. Why do you want to step out? That's exactly the way I thought. Well, um, again, with his visionary leadership, um, it just now we're doing a school. So it's uh, it's that kind of and that's really the empowerment that I think. I love to see that that when people can feel comfortable to make a decision, have some power that we've given to them through the organization, not through anything else, through the organization, and we've equipped them, and they feel confident and we support them, to see them bring their ideas is is just, um, I mean, I get goosebumps right now thinking right. about it. It's just wonderful to see that. So... I'm gleaning a perception of what empowerment means to you, and uh, I, I would like you to expand on that a little bit and see if what I'm picking up is accurate. What What is your definition of empowerment in general? Um, and that that's that's something that when you started a world empowered, um, I um, the word empowerment is, and I've been in management for many years. Um, it's used so much. You really need to understand it and think about what this word means um, before we we just throw it out there and talk about it. But to to me, through um, through my experience and research, I would say the way I define it, it's a process of becoming stronger, more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights. Um, it's also predicated on power being released from a centralized to a decentralized center. That doesn't mean that, that there's this big uh, thing of power, but it means in any organization there are power, power structures that need to be unfettered un, uh, so that people can do their job better. So when power is shared amongst people with common values, uh, empowerment may occur. 
And when it occurs, the progress of society typically moves forward. In, in the microcosm, at the work center, in the organization where the person's empowered, when they go out into the community, they feel a different sense. And so it bleeds into the community. And so, even at a family level, in, a, in one's own household. It becomes so. part of your persona and the way you behave and the way you think about things, right. your perspective. What it, we're talking about the clinic that was built and now the school that's currently being built and that happened through the insistence and the persistence of the person that you've allocated to run the organization in Uganda that lives in that community. And I don't think that that would have happened. He wouldn't have had the confidence and the persistence to insist that those things happen without the minor progressions along the way, digging one well and servicing 30 people and then handing out 100 nets and helping a hundred, well, each net covers three, four a, a people. Fam, a fam, so a hundred nets could save 400 people's lives or save them 400 people from malaria. And, and each thing expands on the other and builds a little bit of confidence and bolsters one's hope that they can make a bigger and bigger impact. So he, he saw, okay, we're, we're doing this with the malaria nets and we're doing this with the wells and we're doing this with the, the medications. How about we create a, a medical facility because his dreamscape and his hope was was fostered through witnessing tiny progressions. I think that is kind of the essence of empowerment. Mm -hmm. Yes. Witnessing little progressions, little opportunities, little changes that you've inspired bolsters our hope that things can be better. And those little changes... <clears throat> um, by themselves, they're like a snowflake. One of them doesn't do one thing, but when you get a bunch of them together, even those little tiny things add up and they become this massive avalanche of positivism, if it's done correctly, that the snowball gets going. And to keep that metaphor um, moving, it, hmm. it almost feeds on itself. Right. But you know, you said something um, that's real important. You said he had the, he saw, um, he saw the future, and that is that is really part of the empowerment equation. Also, that you have a perspective beyond where you currently exist, and not just in your own little world and your own little domain, but you can see the broader picture, and which is what he could do. And in fact, um, that was one of the reasons we put him in that position. And um, he's been successful. We call this blue sky dreaming. Hmm. And that's part of our strategic planning process is that we will, we will say, you know, what do you think about the blue sky? You know, nothing is unlimited. Um, and so we'll get some pretty wild ideas. Um, and some of them are, you know, like way beyond what we can do right now. Such as? Do you have an example? Um, <laughs> um, we did a one point... Um, think about having a boat, a boat, a boat is a little, uh, it's like a motorcycle taxi. Okay. And we were contemplating doing boat, a boat is at one point a business to make money for think community. Like in Thailand, they have the tuk tuk. Yeah. The rickshaws in Vietnam, things like that. Right. Those like kind of things. Okay. Um, but we didn't, we, it just didn't work out that way. Um, that was not one of those too far out, but there was, there was issues that really got us off our mission. So um, the blue sky has to be kind of 
bordered with what your mission is. I mean, you could say, well, we also talked about helicopters and hmm. flying our own jets to Uganda, not doing commercial. That's blue sky too. That would be nice. But it's probably not uh, within the possibilities over the next, at least my lifetime. So, <laughs> But um, that perspective, I think, is what I was getting at, is that um, having that perspective that what you do here isn't just what you do here. It affects all of it, all the whole the whole big picture. Well, one of the questions I love to ask in my interviews is what led you to believe that you can make a difference? You kind of touched on that with um, your reference to your faith. But a, a lot of times people here, they have a dream or they see a need and they want to make a difference, but they're handcuffed and handicapped by the idea that nothing they can do will matter. What spoke to your heart and led you to believe that you could actually impact the lives of people? I mean, how far away is Uganda? Like 11,000 miles away, something? Um, yeah, it's it's probably... Depending on which way you fly. Yeah, it's almost the furthest you can get from where we're at here. Uh, almost. It's like almost as many time zones as there are. Well, not quite, but you'd go through quite a few getting there. So, But to your, to your question, though, um, about why we th what led you to think you could make a difference for the people. Um, the, the one thing, at least in Uganda, um, is that you can do a tiny thing, activity, behavior, whatever. You can do something there, very small, and it has a massive impact. For example, a $5 bed net, which if you make a dollar and a half a day, which is the average, um, wage in Uganda, roughly. You can't afford a bed net, but if you can get a bed net, it can save your life, literally, and it's $5. So the relative effort versus results is a very positive one. And that's what, that is what makes, you get a, you do a little and you get a lot. And what humans love that, what they, oh, I can just push this little button and a huge thing happens. Not quite that easy, but my point is for every ounce of effort that you put in, in, into your work in Uganda because of the nature of the developing country, it magnifies tenfold as opposed to doing the same set of resources, using the same set of resources here in the States. That doesn't even take into account the intangibles, the unintended effects, whereas if somebody does get malaria, either it's life-threatening or they miss work or they can't provide food and and uh, fuel heating sources they have to go what 200 miles to the nearest clinic to, mm -hmm. to get medication um, not only does avoiding malaria death impact the family but it does on a, a multitude of levels when you have to factor in what contracting that illness would do uh, over the long run. Mm -hmm. So it was your faith that brought you to the idea. It was your faith that led you to believe that it would actually matter. And then realizing how far a little bit of effort can go that kind of kept you on that path. Yeah, that's a good way to summarize it, I think. It's a little bit like a world empowered. Where we're getting ready to write our, our grant to um, Africa Bags and we're going to plant 125 mm -hmm. trees we're going to help keep 25 girls in school with their reusable feminine hygiene Africa pads. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to provide four 
year long scholarships to to youth over there in Malawi. Um, a little bit goes a long ways, and that really does make it really feels great to know that you're having that big of an Im- impact on that many people. When when we, I was thinking about this last night, and when we take a step back, and you if you view you view the world as a web, and you just touch one part of, part of the web, other parts of that web can feel the effects. So your relative small effort in one area, like you said, the unintended benefits and sometimes consequences are really uh, amazing. Um, but I still think it gets back to you know your perspective. Um, we get sometimes criticized here in town. People at a fundraiser will come up and say, "Hey, why are you why are you not working in Loveland? Why do you have to travel ten thousand miles away and spend all the money to go there? Blah blah blah. Why don't you just help?" People here, to which our answer gets back to our faith. We didn't we didn't necessarily dial this in. It was dialed in for us. And secondly, we do work here in Loveland, and we do help people in Loveland. But the vast disparity between what needs to be done here, i.e., we have clean water, they don't. Right. And the and in Uganda, it's not even comparable. So the unequal the unequalness of the world's wealth is. One of the, and, and being able to see that and being able to see that and say, that's why I go to Uganda and I don't spend most of our resources here in Loveland. It doesn't need as much help. It's logical. The inequality of opportunity. Inequality of opportunity. disparity between opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. What I think the essence of this particular conversation that I want to get to is empowering a global mindset and helping people to understand what it does for them individually to think about helping and actually get involved in helping people outside of our immediate communities. Can you touch on that? Cause it's not just about helping people that are less fortunate. Cause there are people without shelter. There are people without clean water. There are people without food here, but there, there is a very personal and tangible benefit to having a global mindset, I think. Well, and I would like to hear your perspective on that. Okay. So from a, a very selfish point of view, um, looking at doing what, um, you know, typically nonprofits do, um, I want to talk about this thing that this is. I want to expand our thinking a little bit here. Okay. So let's blow it out to the, this thing called the overview effect that astronauts have when they go into outer space and they view the world. So this is kind of like a psychological phenomena that they've observed of previous astronauts that have it left, is actually, left the atmosphere. Yes, it's okay. actually a documented psychological um, phenomena they don't I don't think they've there's not enough people there's only been a couple hundred people that's done this so they don't have that big of a sample size to really draw any conclusive you know um, science to what happens and call it a syndrome or something like that and classify it but they don't have a scientifically significant sample pool to draw conclusions from but these are observations that they've they've gleaned from astronauts yes okay and, Carry on. Um, this co- it's a cognitive shift in awareness reported by most of the astronauts during space flight. It's been described as almost a state of mental clarity 
where the viewer looking out the window and looking at the ball of the ball called Earth that we live on, and they're overwhelmed by the size of the Earth, and they're also overwhelmed by the uh, the small relative smallness of them being inside this little uh, you know air pocket of tin that keeps them from dying. Right. And next to them is a Japanese person or a Russian person, who knows? But they all are from the same home, and that that does a it does a number on people's psyche. Um, it gives them a sense of awe. It, it uh, as one of the astronauts said, uh, Sam Durantz, he said, you've seen pictures and you heard people talk about it, but nothing can prepare you for what it looks like. The Earth is dramatically beautiful, and when you see it from orbit, more beautiful than any picture you've ever seen. It's an emotional experience because you've re been removed from the Earth, but at the same time, you feel this incredible connection to the Earth like nothing else I've ever felt before. And it goes through this, uh, how they feel when they're down on, when they get back to Earth, they have less depression, some of them, um, and they feel like they understand how we, we need to worry about each other a little bit more. So, so does it give them an awareness of the interconnectivity of all things and how important um, working together and being a part of this global system I think that's what it is. I think it's a, it's a, um, aware, it's an enlightened awareness of, I'm on this planet with my brother that's sitting next to me that lives in a different country, but that is our mutual home, hmm. and so we share that. And once you have a common value of that shared thing that you didn't re recognize before, it really breaks down a lot of barriers. It sounds a little bit like a forest for the trees type of thing. It does. Like it's, when we're so myopic and so short-sighted that all we can care about is our home or our community or our family, then it's hard to care about people across the planet. And these astronauts are having a similar, more, more mind-expanding effect when they realize how vast and huge the Earth is while simultaneously understanding how minuscule and tiny it actually is and how microscopic we actually are on the face of the, the home that we live on. And, and so I come to this point where we're at right now, and, and we talk about this overview effect, uh, and we'll be talk, I'll be talking to our, our staff when we go to Uganda in a month. Um, but, you know, it's like, okay, so big deal. I'm not going to be able to, me, I'm probably never going to go to outer space in my lifetime. So, so what? So what can I do now on Earth while I'm here to try to get more towards that uh, overview effect. And so I've got a couple things that we've listed here that uh, I think helps to expand one's perspective. Okay. The first one is travel. Get out of your town, get out of your, your domain, uh, just go somewhere and travel, travel, and then travel some more. Because the more you travel, the more you see Things are different, and the the broader your perspective can become. I also think that reading, reading books, I don't care what it is, read whatever, just read. Put put uh, put things in your mind just for the sake of learning. Uh, when you learn more, your perspective broadens. Can we go back to the travel part? Oh yeah, I'm just going down a yeah, list. Yeah, this is a fascinating conversation. Cause yeah, absolutely. With I would have given anything to have the experience that I had when I packed up my furniture company and just started traveling the world at a 
much younger age. If I could have done that when I was 20 or 23 or something, um, not only realizing how different other people live and the circumstances and difficulties that a lot of people, it's just their daily existence, having to walk 12 miles to get water. Mm -hmm. uh, literally the only way to dispose of trash. How does is, that make you think when you, when you learn that? What does that do to you? Well, it certainly helps you want to appreciate what you have when you, when you go back to what you're accustomed to, what the place that you've lived, mm -hmm. when, you've, when you're raised in a Western culture and you're raised with all the luxuries that you're afforded here, particularly in America, I, it gives you a lot greater appreciation and perspective. Um, it makes it really hard to listen to people complain. Yeah, <laughs> that's and, for and you don't sure. want to complain, also. Yeah, right. It's a standard joke here when we talk <laughs> yeah. about third or first world problems. Uh -huh. You know, and, and you hear people complaining about somebody doing thirty and a thirty-five, and they're flipping out, having road rage, or it takes five <laughs> minutes for their new app to download right. on their iPhone eleven or whatever. Right. Um, Meanwhile, you know because you have friends in another country that have had literally a bowl of rice and a chicken wing to eat today, mm -hmm. and that—that's their that's sustenance. It. You know, mm -hmm. three hundred, four hundred calories was literally all the food that they took in on that given day. So it, it provided that perspective, but not only does it provide us a, a perspective of how different other people live in other cultures and what they have to go through just to survive on a daily basis. But it also gave me a, a profound realization on how everybody genuinely is the same. Yes. Like our circumstances are different and the way that we live are different. We all are afforded different levels of luxury. But ultimately, people are people. People are people. And we all want the same things. We really do. And that helped to bolster that connectivity part that we're talking about. That realization that everybody matters and everybody wants the same things and making it personal and realizing that we all just want unconditional love. We want to feel safe. We want to know that we're going to be able to eat and provide for our family. Mm -hmm. um, at, at a very core, basic, intrinsic core level, basic. Yes. we're all just the same. I think, was it Gandhi or the Dalai Lama was interviewed one time and the, the reporter was like, You've seen trauma and struggle and grief and and murder on a level that most of us can't even contemplate, but yet you have this profound empathy and compassion for all of mankind. What makes you so different? And his response was, what makes me different is I realize that we're all the same. Hmm. And that's kind of what I got when I started traveling to all these other places and realizing that yeah, some people might live in a bamboo hut and not be able to eat anything for days on end and might have to walk five to ten miles just to get a drink of water or might have to burn their trash in their backyard. But ultimately, we're all just the same. Mm -hmm. How does that correlate to the importance of having a global mindset while living within your family dynamic or your local community to you? Um. <clears throat> well, um, I'm not too sure I understand your question. Well, realizing that we're all the same and what we need and yearn for and strive for at a core level, like Maslow's highest hierarchy at a core level, 
how does that correlate to benefiting somebody to have a global view, to want to support Think Humanity, to want to help people in Uganda or Rwanda, Rwanda, Rwanda or anywhere across the world? Well, you really can't. Um, I don't. I mean, it's it's hard to it, it's hard to even want to help anybody if you don't have. I mean, if you're just looking at yourself and Karen, you know, all I care about is my own little domain right here. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not too sure that you're ever going to get to that point where, where you're, you're opening your mind up. If I'm, I'm, Is there a benefit to somebody removing themselves from their immediate circumstance and worrying about their day-to-day personal life and putting their focus on trying to help somebody across the planet? Well, I think that, that, that if you if you put yourself into that situation where um, <clears throat> you're uncomfortable, I mean, when we go to Uganda, we don't have the same things, food and stuff we have here, um, but it's not anything, you know, we don't, we're not doing anything. Suffering. So, we're not suffering, right. Um so, but but to get that to get that level of uh, cognizance that that is their reality, if, if you if you don't get close enough to it, if you sit sit here in your own little room <clears throat> and you don't venture out and see that things aren't perfect for everybody, then um, you're gonna miss you're gonna miss the whole thing. You're going to miss the whole Is there a way for somebody to arrive at that perspective without actually having to travel on a 14-hour well, flight with three layovers and immerse themselves in, in starvation for 30 days to... Well, I, I, again, if I get back to this list that I kind of cobbled together, so it's traveling, it's reading books, it's learning new languages. Um, just not because you need to, but... Because you probably um, are curious about a language, uh, I'm trying to learn Spanish now. Um, just because I'm curious, everybody speaks it and I don't, and mm. I want to know what they're saying. Um, how about experiencing living with a person from a different culture? Um, we had two foreign, ex- we had four foreign exchange students come and live in our house with our kids, um, so that our kids could learn about different cultures. We had some Japanese and some German people, so. That helped. Uh, I like to also, in my list of things to expand my perspective, would be attend a variety of churches. Um, go to different churches. You, you don't have to say that you're compromising your own particular faith, but learn about different faiths. Uh, if you're strong in your faith, it shouldn't bother you to go out and look at other ones and, and sample them. If and anything, it should bolster. It should bolster it. Um, and then the last thing that I think we can all do and this is kind of a blue sky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, develop a love and a deep appreciation for both the creation of Earth and the cosmos, the universe. So not just our own little Earth, but the, the broader perspective. And I like to try, sometimes I like to go to sleep and, and try to figure out the limits of my mind of what I can't understand, which doesn't take me too long. <laughs> Um, but start, if you go through that and you think, well, is there an edge to the universe? How far does it, you just push your mind to the point where it doesn't work anymore. Then it's a healthy place to be because you realize how little you really know about a lot. 
I feel that way every time I try to download a new app or, <laughs> or learn a new computer program. But yeah, contemplating the vastness of 30 trillion stars or yeah. whatever it is in the galaxy. and I heard a statistic the other day that just blew my mind. And, it's, and it was talking about the... the um, it was talking about interstellar space travel and how many pla- uh, stars there are. And they said, I don't know how they prove it, but they said that there are more stars in our in the universe than there are grains of sand in the earth. Right. Which is a, I mean... You look at the st- beach, you go to any beach, anywhere, and you look at the sand and you imagine all those particulates. And then you look at yourself here, I'm on this little planet hovering around the sun and... I've got some brothers that we work together. Why don't we just get along? Right. Well, one of the things that I think in regard to empowering a global mindset and helping people to try to make, trying to facilitate people within our community to make helping people around the world a priority for them is first of all, you can't want to help somebody else unless you have hope and belief that it will matter. Nobody is going to write a check for $20 if they don't believe that the food is going to get to the person they're they're trying to help. They're not going to volunteer an organization if they think it's not going to make a difference. So you don't even start to make that first step, take that first action without a hope that it's going to make a difference. And hope and despair can't coexist. You can't be... a definitively negative person and a hopeful person at the same time. Mm-hmm. So one for me, one of the benefits of having a global mindset and taking action to try to help somebody else is it forces you into that optimistic, hopeful mindset that it forces you into that energetic wavelength that is basically the essence of empowerment. Mm-hmm. When you're imbued with hope that you can make a difference, which is what you were inoculated with or injected with when you started Think Humanity. It's what your, your, your cohort in Uganda was inoculated with when he inspired you and persisted to create the medical facility and now the, the school over there. Um, it, it, you can't be pessimistic and hopeful at the same time. And that is incredibly powerful. We talk about focusing on gratitude and being appreciative of the things that we have. This is the next step in my belief up the next rung up the ladder and in that mindset to true empowerment. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if, if you took our, if you, if you took humanity and put it on a Maslow's needs hierarchy, kind of a scheme somewhere along the line, uh, it is an advancement towards self-actualization the, the 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 problem I see though I mean you and I are talking this and the the audience I'm sure are are probably more in in the same mindset but there's also probably I don't know if this is a, this is accurate or not but um, seems like the majority of people don't have that view. I is agree. That inc- I mean, no, that, I agree. it's my opinion. I no, know. I agree wholeheartedly. I think a lot of that stems from the the belief or the paradigm that we can't actually make a difference. Yeah. We don't, or we lo- or we don't have the hope. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And we look at, we talk about trying to t- change government at a fundamental level, like 
removing the electoral college or getting rid of all of Congress or something like that. Yeah. And a lot of America is frustrated with our current government, but we don't really do anything together. We don't really rally around each other mm -hmm. as, as a community, as citizens, because we don't really have the belief that it's going to make a difference. Like there's anything we can actually do about it. Yeah. And it's the same way with That's this. That's true, yeah. A lot of people don't take the action because they don't believe that they don't have the hope and they don't have the belief that it will actually matter. And then, but once they take a, the first step, and even maybe they need to take three or four steps, but once they get one success under their belt, they realize it's not that hard, and it, it feeds on itself. Right. It builds builds the hope incrementally and geometrically simultaneously. Yes. One step builds upon the other, which builds upon the other, but it's geometric growth, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, geometric progression. <clears throat> but it starts with that single step, volunteering at an organization, realizing that what you do matters, getting involved and sending, going to Uganda or going to Kenya or going to Vietnam or something like that. and or sending a donation to somebody and realizing what that actually did to make a difference within that community and having that build geometrically upon its, itself with inoculating you with the belief that what you do does matter. Mm -hmm. Having a worldview does matter. Helping people not only makes me feel good because I'm philanthropic and I care about somebody else that's struggling, but it bolsters and boosts my immune system. It, it inoculates me with a hope and a belief. It puts me in a different vibration, man. I, I think it, um, I was gonna mention this also that this overview effect is, a lot of the psychological studies indicate that there's less stress when, mm. you, when you see a broader picture as opposed to, again, living in my own domain. Because when I live in my own domain, I tend to fall into a, I lack hope sometimes, and I can easily become into a victim mentality because I'm trying to protect my domain. And so any th threat that comes into it, I perceive, then I'm gonna be on the defensive and it's harder to be positive when you're reacting instead of proacting. Right. And what is more disempowering than despair yeah. and helplessness and hopelessness. Yeah, I think that's a that's a mutually exclusive term with empowerment. So if that if that's our objective with a world empowered with Oddcast the podcast with empowering a global mindset, uh, we want to move as far away from disempowerment as we possibly can, which Amen. disempowerment again is the despair, the hopelessness, the helplessness, victim mentality. And again, getting involved and realizing that everything we do does matter. Everything we do does make a difference. Everything we do can affect the lives of other people. We get into that hopeful mindset, that optimistic, positive mindset. And that is payoff enough to mm. me to, to operate and to walk around the world with that energetic mindset, that vibration that, yeah, what I do matters. Even if it's just donating 10 bucks to an organization or going to volunteer, it matters. I mean, it gives it gives purpose to life. Um, ultimately, it gives a lot more purpose to life than uh, than without it. In my in my view, at least that's my experience. I agree wholeheartedly. So that leads me into what I would like to be probably our our final question. When you said you're 67, 
if you look back over your life, what would you say was the most profound and important lesson that you've learned to date? Not that the lessons have ended, but so far in your life, what do you think has been the most impactful? Um, wow, that <laughs> that's a pretty... Uh, we could go for another 45 yeah. minutes at this. I mean, um, aside from philosophy, or, or aside from philosophy, because that's where I would always go back to and, and say, well, the, the faith part of it. But okay, that's kind of fundamental, that's foundational. I, I think the, the biggest thing for me that works for me is is I I I want to learn as much as I can till I die because I think my hypothesis is that when we stop learning then we accelerate the process of death uh, because we just I mean just stop evolving in our own right so um, I just want to learn more Learn more about God. Learn more about you. Learn more about what they need. How Look, the universe operates. How that? Uh, yeah, and someday I hope to know what's all a that. Quirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, all this stuff just to learn for the sake of learning, because your brain you cannot fill it up, and the bigger you, the more stuff you put into it, and, you know, realize the little, the, the 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 small fraction of what you really know about the universe is. Well, when we stop learning, we stop growing, and when we stop growing, we start dying. There you go. And there is very little experience on this planet that is as expansive and growth and educational as traveling. Yeah. I love you, buddy. Love you. Thank you for this conversation, right. man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. I hope there's something in there that inspired you. I hope you're feeling empowered and awed and something spoke to your soul and resonated with your heart. If you're interested in contacting today's guest, please check the show notes, follow him on Facebook or send him an email. As always, please subscribe, rate and review and share this podcast with anybody that you know that might benefit from its message. This has been BC from A World Empowered, wishing you the very best. I love you all. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.